be in church this morning, and uh, good to see you all as uh, we worship this morning. Um, I've got to Psalm 149 in my readings, and so I want to just uh, read a little bit of that to you, um, because it really is about praising God. Um, and I was particularly enthralled by verse 4, which says, For the Lord takes delight in His people. He crowns the humble with salvation. And so we're here to celebrate, aren't we, uh, the Lord's salvation in Jesus Christ in this communion service. And uh, let me just read you those first uh, five verses from Psalm 149 as we come to worship. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their Maker, Let the people of Zion be glad in their keen. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in his honor and sing for joy on their beds. That was interesting as well, isn't it? I read that this morning, sing for joy in their beds. So it's not just about praising him on a Sunday morning. It's about praising Him all through the day and even as we lie in bed at night, and that's a good time maybe to praise Him as well. Uh, You will be aware, of course, that at this moment in time, by the wonder of technology, that I am speaking to you here now, and that in a few moments' time, I will be speaking to the nation um, as well. Um, It's very disconcerting when you hear your name Uh, mentioned on the radio at nine o'clock, and they get it absolutely perfectly right, Samuel Mawini. Um, And uh, so we will pray for that. I think that's how we'll start our service today. Let me pray, and we'll ask that God will use our services today for His honor and glory. Let's pray. Father, we are a happy people, and we are a people who have much to give thanks for because we believe in you, our Creator God, who has made us individuals and made this world and made everything around us so that we might enjoy it and that we might rejoice in you, the great Creator. And yet, Father, we realize, too, that we have messed up, that we are selfish, that we are not as you intended us to be, that we are simply sinful And that, Father, that we know that deep in our own hearts. And yet, Father, you have come to us as Savior, and you have given your Son as a sacrifice for our sins so that we can be forgiven and that we can be in relationship with us. Father, we rejoice that the Lord takes delight in his people and that he crowns the humble with salvation. So we humble ourselves before you. And we pray that as we come to worship, that you will be with us. And we pray, Father, that you will help us to understand the message of the cross. And we thank you, too, for this tremendous opportunity that we have to declare the same message to the nation through the avenues of radio and television. And so we simply pray that as the broadcast goes out in a few minutes' time on television and radio, that, Lord, that you will use it to your honor and glory, and that our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be lifted up and exalted, and that, Father, that people who know you will be encouraged, 
and people who don't know you will be intrigued to want to know you more. And so, Father, we pray uh, for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a great hymn now, um, Holy, Holy, Holy. This is uh, becoming one of my favorites, and we have sung it quite a lot. Uh, but as you'll see, we're going to be reading Isaiah chapter 6, and that is very much about that whole idea of the holiness of God. So let's stand and sing these great verses. You, uh, only you are holy, there is none beside you, perfect in power, love and purity. Let's stand to sing.
Well, please be seated. That's great singing. What I think we'll do now, as I've already prayed, is for you to pray. And so we're just by our heads and maybe just take a moment individually and quietly uh, just to pray uh, a prayer of thanksgiving to God uh, for who He is and His greatness. And then in a moment, uh, I will just begin the Lord's Prayer and we'll say it together. If you want to say it in your own language, uh, please say that. Say it out loud um, and let's just pray uh, together. So we're thanking God as a community for who He is, and then we'll finish with the Lord's Prayer. So silently, if you just want to give thanks to God now. So let us join together in saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, if you've got your Bibles there, we'll look at Isaiah chapter 6. And I've asked Johann Castleman to come and read that to us. So Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8, I see here. And uh, it's page 690. 690. For those who are, were here last week, you'll realize that we had this reading last week, and that is a coincidence, I think, under God. So where's Johan? Okay, Johan. So Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and in the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices and the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for it. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, Send me. Okay, we'll look at that a bit later on. Okay, well, we've got um, a special treat. Johnny's going to come uh, and speak to us now about 
a Christians in Sport Dublin camp. Here, Sam, is it? Yeah. So during my time in Belfast for university over the last three and a half years, I've been very much involved in a Christian organization called Christians in Sport. And for the first time ever, they're having a camp in Dublin. So they asked, would I come and just do a little short talk um, for my home church, just raising awareness for it. So just a bit about Christians in Sport there, a non-denominational Christian organization which started in the United Kingdom in the 1970s. And their mission really is to reach the world of sport for Christ. So since the 1970s, they've really grown and they, they've, they're involved with lots of different avenues within sport. So they're involved within professional sport and they have lots of relationships with professional athletes in the United Kingdom where they have one-on-one you know, -on -one Bible studies and they support them and just help them in their faith during the year. They're also involved in, in universities um, by having different camps. I was at one over the new year there, which was absolutely brilliant. And then they have different university Bible study groups that meet at 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on a Wednesday morning, so it's fairly early, but it's so that all the groups can just be praying for each other. So I actually lead the one in Jordanstown up in Belfast. So there's one in Jordanstown, there's one in Queens, Coleraine, and there's also one in UCD in Ireland. And they're hoping to establish a couple more university groups in Dublin universities. And then there's loads in universities across England, Scotland, and Wales. So the idea of that is just to, um, for the members of the group to be growing in their faith and maturing in their faith, but also to be, there's a real evangelistic component to it and to be inviting your teammates along to various um, events hosted by the different groups. So I wasn't actually gonna say this, but this Wednesday, if you keep it in your prayers, it's the Jordanstown, it's our biggest event of the year where we're having a sports quiz and there's gonna be a, a, a gospel message at the end of it. So we've invited all our teammates from our club teams and our uni teams along. So if you could just pray that, first of all, they would come along to it and second of all, that they would be open to the gospel message, to, to hearing the, the greatest news that they could possibly ever hear. So that's just a bit about Christian sport, which leads me on to the, these camps because they're very much involved with secondary school age um, young people as well. And they have these sports plus camps. Um, so they have two in Belfast and then they have a couple in England and Wales as well. So the first time that I was ever had a real encounter with sports plus was a couple of families that we met in a Christian campsite in France from Scotland. And the two girls used to get the ferry over every year from Scotland over to Belfast to do these camps every summer. So I remember thinking the camps must be fairly good if they're getting the ferry over each and every year to do these sports camps. So it's also, also the camps in Belfast that I've helped at, at. The Belfast one camp sells out within two hours and the second camp sells out within eight hours. So they're, they're very, very popular. So it's coming to Dublin now for the first, for first ever year. So as you can see there, six day uh, residential camp, high quality sports coaching, which was something that, that really surprised me in terms of the camp in Belfast that I helped at, like the, the women's hockey coach. She actually missed the first day or two of the camp because she was playing in the World Cup final in that Irish team last year that 
came runners up. So she played in the final and then the next day she was up coaching at the camp up in Belfast. And like the rugby coach, he was playing professionally in, in France and Italy for a number of years. So really high quality coaching. And more importantly, the spiritual aspect is, is amazing. Um, the talks, even as a leader, I was challenged by a lot of the talks that the kids were getting, like they really are amazing. And it was just humbling last year to see how God was working in that camp and see so many young people come to Christ and so many um, young Christians maturing in their faith, which really was amazing. So here's a short little video. So obviously the camp is now coming to Dublin for the first time ever. So it's in St. Columbus College and the dates are there. So the 30th of June to the 5th of July. And it was just so obvious to see how God was working in that because Christians in sport had really wanted to come down to Dublin and do things in Dublin. They started that group in UCD and they really wanted to start these Sports Plus camps. But for years, they really struggled with getting a location that satisfied all overnight needs, food needs, sports facilities. So the way it worked out really was a really satisfied parent that had sent one of his um, children over to the, one of the camps in England, rang them up and said, thank you so much. Um, my son absolutely loved the camp. It was amazing. Um, would you ever think of doing one in Dublin? And they explained the difficulties that they had. And the parent then said, well, why don't you have it in St. Columbus College? I'm actually the principal and I would absolutely love for you to have it there. So that made their job really easy, and then they thought, well, God's obviously pushing us in this direction. We have no excuse not to do it now. So that's when it is, the, the 30th to the 5th, and it's open for any um, teenagers or young people that are gonna be in secondary school. So if you're currently in sixth class to fifth year of secondary school, you're eligible to do this camp. So you can see there just different details about the costs and things like that. You can either, for the full rate, stay over every night um, in St. Columbus College, or for the reduced rate, you can drop your kids off in the morning and then collect them then um, in, in the late afternoon or evening. And as you can see there, you know, as a charity, there's different bursaries and things available for families that feel that they can't afford the full, full cost of it. So here's another video. I'm not sure if it's gonna work or not but it's of, it's not working for me here anyway. It's a sh short video. This is actually the Belfast camp that I helped at last year. I'm in a sweet spot. I'm feeling good. Just while this is going on, I'll just talk over it because I'm just afraid I don't want to talk for too long here. So the, the camp in Dublin, what you do is you choose one of your first sports. So you choose between cricket, Gaelic football, hockey or rugby. And you get specialised coaching in that for two hours each and every day. And then the rest of the day is spent playing loads of other sports, 
you choose from a range of sports that change each and every day. So it could be soccer, golf, tennis, whatever. So you just choose from between cricket, Gaelic football, hockey and rugby as your first sport. And then there's a number of other sports that you can choose from. And then there's also things in the evening like team challenges and stuff where your teams have little sporty challenges and it's just really, really good fun. And as you can see there, you know, the camp in Belfast, there was as much girls as there were boys. And I must also say as well, it's not a camp for the next professional athletes. It's not an elitist thing. It's for, really is for people of any abilities and, and ranges. So, so definitely where that's concerned. So there's also then a morning meeting, which involves um, a talk and, and worship and an evening meeting, which is the same. And then there's a midday Bible study. There really is excellent teaching at it as well. I'll just fast forward, you're trying to get the idea of it there. I don't know how long the video goes on for. So anyway, that's just a brief insight to it. So I know Sam met with someone who's very much involved with it and got loads of these flyers. So, you know, pick these up from around the church and have a good read of them. They might answer a few questions that I might not have explained about. So pick these up, give them around to people that you think might be really interested in the camp, whether as a, as a camper or as a leader or as a member of support staff, you know, they're always looking for cooks and physiotherapists and other things just to help out at the camp. So please do let people know about it. I'm really hoping to be a leader at it if my master's allows for it. And I know some really, really good people that have already signed up to be leaders at it. So just get the word around and, and, and share about it. There's also one thing that I have to um, let you know about tomorrow. There's a, an info night for it where there's going to be a full-time Christians and sport worker down at it and he's going to just ask answer any questions about it so I'll just read his text that he sent me so it's in Singe Street Secondary School in Dublin and it's for parents youth leaders church leaders anyone who wants more info about the vision of Christians and sport and sports plus in Dublin so it'd be great to have some representation um, of Adelaide Road at that so if you if you have any more questions ask me or ask Sam and just really pray for it. They're having a lot of challenges, like any organization would, starting off something for the first time in, a, in an unknown area. So just please be praying for them. Thank you. That's great, Tony. Thank you. Um, yeah, so Sing Street, as many of you will know, is just up the South Circular Road there. And this, it's just behind the big church there. On the right-hand side, that's where the meeting will be. Um, and uh, I think that was everything. I think, Johnny, you did a great job there. That was super. Um, yeah. It's encouraging, isn't it, just to, uh, when you're good at sport, that you can actually use that for Jesus and uh, that you can uh, be a sports person and uh, serve him in that way. Also, uh, St. Columbus is absolutely gorgeous. 
um, in terms of the hockey pitches and the rugby pitches and the golf course and uh, accommodation and indoor. It's just brilliant. So it's as good a venue, I'm sure, as anywhere uh, in Ireland. So I uh, would encourage you to think about that. And I was told as well that it is quite expensive, uh, but there is subsidies available. So uh, they will work with you on that. And it would be lovely to get some of our young people away on that. Well, we're going to sing a hymn that we should know well as well. It's called There is a Green Hill Far Away. Our focus, of course, is on the cross today. Uh, and then, boys and girls, you're free to go uh, out as well. So there is K2 to, today, by the way, I hear. Um, so it says there isn't here, but there is um, as well. So uh, this is a children's hymn. Uh, we wouldn't see it as a children's hymn today. Um, but it was written by a lady called Cecil Alexander Francis. We've been having a thing about names today. Um, I should have called Johnny Jonathan, by the way. So his name is Jonathan. And, uh, you know, my mother would insist that I'm called Samuel. But this girl's called Cecil. Isn't that an interesting idea? But she was the wife of a bishop. And the bishop lived in the city walls of Derry because that's where the cathedral was. And when she looked out over those city walls, she saw the hills in the background, and those were the hills of Donegal. And she imagined that she was in Jerusalem, and that's why she said, there is a green hill far away, outside a city wall, where their dear Lord was crucified, who died to save us all. So let's stand to sing. Great. Well, boys and girls, you're free to go. Well, if we just uh, run through these announcements uh, quickly this morning, um, uh, you see that next Sunday is the 31st of March. Uh, it struck me that there's a lot happening on the 31st of March. So firstly, your clocks will change. Okay, so you need to be aware of that. Um, I think they go forward one hour. Um, as you can see in this clock, we've already done that. It's uh, half past 12 at the moment here. Um, so we're in anticipation of that. So your clocks go forward. You need to do that so that you don't uh, end up missing church or coming far too early, probably. Um, next Sunday is also Mother's Day. Uh, so we will want to mark that as well uh, in our service, and we'll be thinking about that. So if you'd forgotten about that, uh, now's the time to think and get something done about that. And then we continue to look at what happened on the cross. So we're, we're kind of just taking five weeks to look at the cross, um, and uh, uh, we'll start that in a moment or two. And there is prayer ministry at the front here beside the organ if you would like to be prayed for, International Cafe on Friday. Living Well is on Tuesday, um, so in the home of Alan and Heather. It's good to see them here today. If you want to talk to them about it, do that today. Uh, it's mainly for those of, well, it is for those uh, of retirement age. Um, then, just to encourage you with the Bible reading notes, really, um, if you are using Bible reading notes, they've either finished at the end of February or they will finish at the end of March, and so you need to order them, um, and really, you would need to do that this week. If you need help, there's details there. Um, there are the annual general meeting 
some people thought maybe it was today, but it's not. It's on Sunday the 7th of April, so you have two more weeks. Uh, you should have received uh, the reports through email, um, and we do want you to um, uh, read those, um, and uh, then we will have our annual general meeting on Sunday the 7th. After the service, you are... Um, uh, it's uh, immediately after the service. We're just going to go straight into it, uh, literally in a, uh, you know three or four minutes. Um, we need to think about how that all works, but that's what we're doing. Um, if you're reading the reports, why don't we start the conversation now? I mean, there's no, we don't have a lot of time there. Uh, so if there's something you want to ask about or to do, uh, to talk about, well, come and talk to those who have written the reports or talk to me. Um, um, let's have a conversation. And in the General Assembly, um, uh, the person uh, who presents the report often says, I thank such and such for notification of this question. In other words, that they have given them notice of the question so that they have time to answer it. And why don't we do that over the next two weeks if you have questions that you would like uh, to uh, ask as well. So, annual general meeting on the 7th. And uh, yes, over the page you'll see that... Um, uh, sadly, Norm and Sue are not with us today. Sue's not well, but uh, they will be leaving next Sunday. It's their last Sunday with us, um, and I will pay tribute to them uh, before they return to America, um, and we'll give them opportunity to say um, what they hope to do in the future. Um, if you, we're going to have a, a sort of potluck lunch for them in the months uh, following the service, and if you would like to come to that, uh, then talk to Karen or Foner on her mobile and organize uh, what needs to be done about that. So that's Norm and Sue's farewell uh, next week as well. So I think those are all the announcements. I'm going to sing again. Um, You're the Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slain. Again, I just wanted to give a picture here, uh, not of a Jesus meek and mild, as it were, uh, but of a Jesus who is a lion and who is not tameable um, and who has ascended to heaven and evermore will reign. So let's think about him as we sing about him. Judah, the lamb that was slain, descended to heaven and evermore will reign. At the end of the age, when the earth you reclaim, you will gather the wisdom and well, folks, I put a second reading in there, and it's not because Johnny spoke uh, too long. I'd already decided I probably wouldn't read that, uh, but it's there for you. And if you want to learn about King Uzziah, uh, that turns up in Isaiah chapter 6. Well, there, that's where you'll find all about him. Uh, so let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6 as we look at this first talk on why did Jesus have to die. So, um, I think I have up next, yeah, you've been given uh, this book, Why Did Jesus Have to Die? Um, I was conscious I didn't want to give it too early because you could stay at home and just read it um, because I'm going to follow it. I, I'm not really going to um, uh, yeah, just depart from it. I, I obviously got my own slant on some of it, and, uh, but you will find most of what I, I will say today in this. Uh, and uh, it's got five chapters uh, with an introduction, and it's the five topics that we will look at as we uh, work through this uh, together. 
So uh, I've, I, there's a hundred of them, I think. I kept a few back just in case. We'll bring some next week. So there should be one, maybe not for every person, but for every family. Um, and they really only, you could read it if you're concentrating quite hard uh, in, I would say, about, yeah, uh, 15 minutes a chapter. It's not a big book. I think there's 90 pages in it as well. So I'm going to take off my glasses. Now, I might be able to preach like this. I can just about see what my notes are, but I cannot see you very well. You're all very blurred. And the reality behind that would be I could do that, and I suppose I could get away with that. And uh, you might just uh, say, well, that's not important. But if I were driving, um, and that was all that I saw, then you'd say, get those glasses back on, especially if you're in the back seat or the front seat um, and you are my passenger. It's important, isn't it, that we are able to see. If I were your surgeon and I took off my glasses and then I said, well, I'm about to dissect your aorta or something, then you would be saying, no, get those glasses back on so that you can see. It's important that we can see. And I suppose what I want to say to us, folks, is that it's no less so in the Christian life. It's important that we can see, metaphorically speaking, who God is and who we are. That's the double vision, who we are and who God is. Calvin says in the opening of his Institutes, nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. We need to see with both eyes and we need to get both parts clearly seen. So if you look in verses in verse 1 to 4 in particular, uh, you will see that Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? I saw the Lord. 2020 vision. Let's see what we've got. It seems to have stopped again, Ray. Is there another one there? Yeah, verses 1 to 4. So you've got that there before you. Um, so Isaiah is in the temple, uh, most likely on the Day of Atonement in verse 7. Uh, he's uh, talking about your sin atoned for. He's before an altar. Um, and the imagery, of course, is the year that he died, verse 1, which is 750 B.C. And sadly, as you, if you could read in Second Chronicles, you see that uh, Uzziah was known as a good king. He did many good things, but as he got older, he became proud. And he really uh, disobeyed God. And what God did was that he gave him leprosy. And he then couldn't enter into the temple. And I suppose the people are asking the question, who is the true king? And uh, Isaiah has this amazing vision. I think one of the most remarkable things that I learned in this, if you, uh, maybe it's worth turning to it in John chapter 12 and verse 41. Uh, I just have that there, John chapter 12 and verse 41. It's page 1081 in my Bible, so it should be close to that. So that says, doesn't it, Isaiah said this because... He saw Jesus' glory 
and spoke about him, quoting in verse 40 uh, the passage from Isaiah 6. Amazing, isn't it, that Isaiah sees Jesus? Absolutely incredible, a remarkable thing. And so what I want us to do this morning is just see what Jesus was like. And we're going to go through this, as you say. Well, he's seated on a throne. He's a king. He's high and exalted. He is transcendent. His robe, in fact, just the back part of it, the train of his robe, fills the temple. The picture is that not the whole robe can fit in, showing that he's powerful and that he comes with authority. He is holy, repeated three times, of course. He's separated from the angelic beings. They cannot even look at him. They cover their faces. He is perfect in holiness, holy, 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 which is a Hebrew way. And the fact that it's done three times, usually it was only done twice, but by doing it three times, it's perfection. He is incomparable. He is without sin. His glory and radiance fill the whole earth, as it says. Again, it's a picture of universal size and authority. And in that sense, no one can escape or avoid God. When his messengers speak, not even God himself, at the sound of their voices, in verse 4, the temple shakes. And his presence is depicted, of course, by the smoke that fills the temple. This is a strong, powerful picture. It is a holy and separate picture. It is an imminent picture. And it's what I, Jesus, it's what Isaiah saw. This is Jesus. Now, I was with someone this week, and they said to me, and I'm sure you've heard this, um, I was talking to the man above. And I know what they mean. But don't we often try to do that? And in your book, you'll read of a, an artist in England who was, didn't want some powerful image, so what she put was a blackbird on the top of a four-meter pole because she didn't want to be overwhelmed. Folks, we are not talking about, when we talk about Jesus, we're not just talking about a man. We're talking about a holy, amazing God. And we like to bring God down to our size. However, as written here, that would be wrong, it would be weak, and it would be wishful thinking. Jesus is holy, holy, holy. Lord, God Almighty. And if we don't see that, then sadly, we're going to be deluded, aren't we? We're going to be deceived into seeing that there may be no need for the cross. But if you look in verse 5, you'll see that when Isaiah sees, what does he see? My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, Jesus Christ. And that's the first point that we want to make, that he saw the Lord then he saw himself in verse 5. Isaiah's description of himself after he saw God uh, as he was is not a happy one. It's not a positive one. It's not always easy to accept, isn't it? Because he's filled with dread. Woe to me, because he's ruined. And he's particularly concerned about the things he has said and they are, because they are unclean. Amazing, isn't it? We, you know, we, the things we think, the things that we say, and that they're unclean, and when we actually realize that, we're ashamed of it. Often my go-to illustration of that is the car windscreen, and the sun shines directly into it. The reason I mention that is because that's exactly what the people on the radio and on television will hear this morning, because I used that 
in Psalm 139. And I've never forgotten it, of course, because it was true one day when I was, it was a picture that really spoke to me. But I want to read you a picture from this book, and it's on page 17, because I think this does it maybe even better, and I'd never heard it before. And I think I have a picture of that, by the way. So anybody read The Water Babies by Charles Kingsley? Apparently it's a classic. Okay, Sophie's read it. Okay, very good. Or a scholar. Let me read you a bit from it. Or this is the introduction in this book. In Charles Kingsley's classic book, The Water Babies, the central character is a boy called Tom, who is a chimney sweep. One day in a huge mansion, he loses his way, crawling inside the maze of flues and chimneys. Instead of coming down, out down the kitchen chimney, he crawls out into the hearth of a spotlessly white bedroom where a lovely little girl lies asleep between immaculately white sheets, a room where not a speck of dirt is to be seen. Tom, the little orphan chimney sweep, gazes around him, enchanted by his first sight of such beauty and cleanliness, never having imagined that anything so spotless and lovely could exist. But then he catches sight of a filthy little creature, sooty black from head to foot, standing on a rosy pink carpet with pools of black perspiration dripping from its body. It is so out of place in such surroundings that he shakes his fist and shouts fiercely, Get out of here at once! But the dirty figure shakes its fist in return. Suddenly, and suddenly, for the first time in his life, poor Tom realizes that he is looking in a mirror and seeing himself as he really is. It breaks his heart. Uttering a desolate and despairing cry, he rushes out of the house, sobbing as he goes. I must be clean. I must be clean. Where can I find a stream of water and wash and be clean? And folks, that is the reality of what happens when we truly see God. We are devastated, are we not, by our sinful self. When we look at Jesus, we see that he was selfless in his love, and yet we are selfish, and it stands out as ugly so often. His humility exposes our pride. His holiness and purity shines on our lusts, our anger at others, our hypocrisy. His truth reveals how we spin the truth with half-truth and even deceit. And often like the young man who has been driving when drunk and who causes the death of an innocent person when confronted by the true reality of his behavior, the only thing left is shame and remorse and guilt and being uncomfortable. I am like this. I did this. I think this. I say this. This is me. This is the reality. And we're not comparing, by the way, ourselves with anybody else. Isaiah was a good man. He was a good prophet, a godly man. Because you see, folks, degrees of sin are immaterial in the reality of the holy presence of an all-powerful and mighty God. And that 
is why we need the cross. It is simply we can do nothing about it. We are full of sin, and we will face and do face a holy God. And that's why this is a lovely passage, isn't it? Because he has this transforming experience of grace. So our glasses are on. We've got 20-20 vision. We have this amazing picture of God who is holy and powerful and pure. And we have this picture of ourselves as dirty and sinful in our hearts. And we're in a terrible predicament. We are guilty before God. We are unable to change ourselves. And what we need is a transforming experience of grace. And thankfully, that is what happens for Isaiah. What he sees is the altar in the temple where after the sacrifice or the lamb of the bull and the red-hot embers of the sacrifice. And as Isaiah confesses his sin, one of the seraphs takes the hot coal to him. And I love this little phrase, verse 6, and one of the seraphs flew to me. So the altar comes to him. Jesus comes to him. The sacrifice comes to him. Forgiveness comes to him. It's beautiful. And it's truly remarkable because Isaiah is now told that he has no guilt. This is the effect of the sacrifice when it's applied to him because the sacrifice, as we see in verse 7, has atoned for his sin. We will look at this word again. These central ideas of the cross, these deep theological truths of satisfaction through substitution, of redemption. But today, let us simply understand that through the sacrifice on the altar, Isaiah's sins were forgiven. His guilt is removed. He is now cleansed. He is now pure and holy. And as Paul said to the Colossians in chapter 2, verse 13 After Jesus' sacrificial death, he forgave us all our sins. It is absolutely remarkable. A cleansing from sin. It's clear from this vision that it could not be of his own effort. He simply had to submit to receive the work of God from the altar. And this is the only basis on which we can stand before God. If we ever begin to say to ourselves, I'm doing okay, even as Christians, I'm growing and I'm walking with God quite nicely, then we need to see clearly again. It is only by grace that we come. It is only by grace that we stand. Never by human effort. Only through the cross of Christ. And folks, we need the cross because God is so powerful and holy and we are helpless in our sin. And only through the cross are we cleansed. And lastly, we're commissioned for service. And again, we need to understand this, isn't it? Because we often do want to serve God, but it has to come out of a response of love. So I've written here, it's a response of love having been loved because Christ loved us, we love others. Because he served us and gave his life, we serve others and give our lives for them. And that's why it says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah then says, here I am, send me. Folks, if we go with any other motive, we will be proud and we will make it about ourselves. We need to see the gospel first. 
So I simply leave you with this first chapter, as it were. Why uh, do we, you know, why did Jesus die for us? And the reality is because he is, because he's holy, we are separated from him because of our sin. And he had to do something about it. So as we put on our gospel glasses, let us see just how powerful the gospel is. Jesus has removed our guilt. He has atoned for our sin. No one else could, and he has commanded us for service. Let us serve him. And Jesus invites you to serve him with grateful thanks. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this very simple presentation of the gospel from Isaiah 6. And Father, I pray that you will just remind us again as we come to communion of all that you have done for us in Christ. And Father, we do recognize that we're sinful people and that, Father, that we're ashamed of what we say and what we think so often. And Father, I thank you that though that is true, that in Christ, because of what Christ has done, the guilt is removed. The sins are gone. We are a new creation. And I pray that we will enjoy thinking about that and that the reality of that will motivate us to live well for you. So, Father, help us to take this little book home with us and to think it through. And, Father, as we come to Easter, that we will remember afresh uh, this lovely phrase. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's prepare our hearts as we come to communion. Father, we are the most special people. And we're the most special people not because of who we are, but because of who you are and what you have done for us. As the psalmist reminded us, Father, you cared for us, you loved us, you gave yourself for us. And Father, we are in Christ, holy and pure and set aside. And Father, we thank you for that tremendous truth. And we thank you for this uh, bread and wine, for these symbols of that act of Jesus on the cross. And we pray that as we eat and as we drink, that, Father, that we will know not just, as it were, in our heads, but in our hearts, in the same way that we eat and drink, that we might know the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this.